Friends, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, God, even now as we open up your word here, we ask that your Holy Spirit will be the teacher, interpreter, Lord, and and, uh, the one who illumines our eyes, opens our eyes to give understanding. Help us to understand this truth, Lord, that we might understand, believe, and obey, to live accordingly. Guide us now, Lord, by your great power. May we be ever different because of what we've experienced here today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder how many of you have ever heard of a man named George Mallory. George Mallory. Probably not many did something pretty significant. He was the first person to reach the summit of Mount Everest. The first person ever to reach the summit of Mount Everest. Now the reason you may not have heard him is he he actually didn't make it back. You may recall the name Sir Edmund Hillary, who not only made it to the top, but made it back down again as well. And because of it, he is the famed the explorer that made it to the top. There's an important lesson in this, my friends. It doesn't matter so much how you start as how you finish. And as followers of Jesus Christ, my friends, we ought to live this life well. Regardless of where we have been, we ought to end well. Today we come to the end of the study in Genesis, and it ends perhaps how everything does with some funerals. It's a a sad chapter, but oh, the insights that are available to us here are enormous. You see, today in our study we find some good instruction as how we ought to live in order to finish well in this life. A lot of distractions between birth and death, my friends. But how do we live well? How do we set ourselves on a course that ends with the Lord saying to us at our death, Well done. You ended well. You lived well. You found the right path and you stuck to it. Well, this morning we're going to see some very, very clear instruction for us here this morning on how to get there. The first is something simple. Keep your commitments. If you say it, do it. Be a man, woman, or young person of truth. You say it, you do it. People are more inclined to listen to people who share the gospel, who are people of truth, who say it, then they do it. Notice here in verse 1, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. You see, Jacob has died. We read about that in our last chapter in 49. And we notice here in verse 3, 40 days were required for it. For that is how many days are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. 
You see, it's at the funeral where people start talking about your life. And here we have an opportunity to think back on the life of Jacob. Even from the beginning at his birth, holding on to the heel of his brother, trying to be first. It is an evil ambition, my friend, to put yourself before others. So here Joseph has Jacob embalmed. And we notice here in verses 4 to 10, Joseph kept his word. Joseph kept his word. You see, he had promised to take his father's body to Canaan. Jacob had said, I don't want to be buried in Egypt. Take me back to where my father and his father were buried. And here's Joseph. I mean, he's, he's basically running a nation. You know, maybe I can send a few people to take care of that. You know, or maybe in a few months, man, when things calm down, we can know. Here is Joseph, whom God has put in this position to save people's lives and to care for people. And here he does so with his father. You notice in verse 4, when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, Now note this carefully, friends. You don't come to the Pharaoh while you're weeping. You know, Joseph... Let's get beyond this stuff. You know, there's a lot of rules with a lot of these leaders in the, in, in the Bible. You know, and one of those things is you don't come weeping to the Pharaoh. You come cleaned up and ready to talk and do business. But here we find that, I mean, that's illustrated with Mordecai and Esther. Read that book in the book of Esther. Wow. It's an amazing book, by the way, the book of Esther. The name of God is never used in this book. The word G-O-D is never used once in the book of Esther. And yet his fingerprints and his actions are never more clear than they are in this book. The providence and power of God. Okay, let's get back to this after that commercial message. Back to our study here, friends. And so Joseph took his father baddies back to Canaan with the permission of the Pharaoh. You know, he goes in and he says he spoke to the household of Pharaoh. And notice his words. If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, and here's the request, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. Now, that last little phrase there is perhaps the most significant part for Pharaoh. In light of what Joseph has done for the nation of Egypt, they don't want him going anywhere. So much so, my friends, when we come to verse 7, we see that Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him... Half of the officials of Egypt, look at this, with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh's, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. Now, my friends, this uh, really speaks of a couple of things here. First and foremost is Pharaoh's love and respect for Joseph. But secondarily, Joseph wanted to make, or the Pharaoh wanted to make sure Joseph 
came back. And so here is this mob of people. Look at verse 8. As well as all of the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household, only their children and their flocks and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. So it was Joseph's intent to come back anyway. And verse 9, And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very, very, very great company. And when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made mourning for his father seven days. Now those of you who have lost people and who hasn't, people that you love, parents, God forbid, children. Yeah, the funeral's way over. You know, we did that whole thing. But just in the midst of, you know, shopping or watching a television show or something, it just falls to tears. And that is the mourning that is going on for Jacob here. And here they are on this threshing floor. Now, a threshing floor, well, what's that all about? You know, it's not for playing ping pong. It's set up high, and the purpose is you throw the grain up, and all of the wind carries away all the bad stuff. You know, up it goes, the wind blows away the light and useless parts. And so there they are, mourning. And so much so is great is their grief, my friends. In verse 11 we read, When the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites saw the mourning of the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. <laughs> and therefore the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Mizraim. So Hebrew for Egypt. And it all happened just as the Lord had said. You see, the Lord had told Jacob before he even went down to Egypt to see his son Joseph that he would come back to Canaan and that his son Joseph would close his eyes, a metaphor for burying him. And so thus his sons did for him as he commanded them. He kept his word, my friends. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which, is, which Abraham bought with a field from Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place, just as the Lord had told them. Back in Genesis chapter 46, and verses 2 to 4, God spoke to Israel, that's Jacob, remember God changed his name, spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am. Then he said, I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. You see, we haven't forgotten that yet, have we? God made a covenant with Abraham, a covenant to personally bless this man and to make of him a great nation, a kind of nation that anyone who blesses that nation, God would bless. And anyone that curses that nation, God would curse. And through that nation, all the families of the world would be blessed. 
And here in verse 4, the Lord says, And I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So Joseph kept his commitments because he was a man who could be trusted. I wonder what people say about you. People say about me, are you the kind of person that can be trusted? You want to get on the right path, my friends? Let's start there. Be a man or woman of truth. If you say it, you will do it. Guard yourselves because there are sometimes moods that we're in. Oh, you want me to drive to Philadelphia and pick up a sandwich? Man, I am there. And then you wake up the next morning and suddenly you, you are aware of your calendar. Be careful, friends. Be careful. Watch that tongue. It'll get you in a lot of trouble. Lots of trouble, friends. Well, Joseph kept his commitments because he was a man who could be trusted. But he was also a man who knew how to forgive. And perhaps this is the highlight, the end, the culmination of this whole account in the book of Genesis. Don't miss this stuff, my friends. Now, you might think this is the perfect time for Joseph to get back at his brothers. And that would certainly be understandable. Let's not forget, they didn't just play a prank on him, you know. They didn't just cut his short shorter than they normally are so he looked ridiculous. They literally planned to murder this guy. And if it wasn't for speaking up of, of Judah, I said, you know what? Why don't we not kill him? Why don't we just sell him as a slave? <laughs> they literally sold him in order to never see this guy again. They hated him. Remember the, the Moses says they could not even speak peaceably to him. Not a word out of their mouth was peaceable to him. They hated him. And so now dad's gone. Just me and you fellas. I think of all of the things that Joseph in his power could have done to his brothers. It's not hard to think about such things. I mean, even a couple of the apostles, James and John, I mean, here these guys are their disciples. You know, John, the, the apostle of love, you know? <laughs> you know, when he and Jesus and his disciples entered into a Samaritan village, these Samaritans, they didn't receive Jesus very well. They wanted nothing to do with him because he was headed to Jerusalem. And James and John came to Jesus and said, Lord, you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume these people? I mean, they insulted you. Think of this. This is where James and John got the nickname from Jesus of sons of thunder. <laughs> Perhaps something to be laughed at or to be reminded of. It's not the way, my friends. You see? So here's this perfect setting and opportunity for Joseph to seek vengeance. But notice what his brothers are doing. They're thinking the same thing. Look at verse 14. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, 
They said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Friends, they weren't hiding it. They weren't denying it. They knew what they had done to him was not just wrong. It was horrifically evil. And so they hatch a plan. They lie. You know, because lying is so easy to do. And look at what they say here in verse 16. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father, the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke with him. What's he weeping about? Well, this guy is different. Have you noticed that? He hears their fear in this request, likely knows that they're lying anyway. Why wouldn't Dad just tell me that? Hmm. And they squirm. His brothers also came and fell down before him. Let's not miss the significance of that. Remember that dream when he was 17 years old? That his brothers would bow down before him? What is this, like the sixth time they've done it now? And they said to him, Behold, we are your servants. Hmm. But I want you to notice this carefully, friends. Let's not miss this. Hey, pay attention. <laughs> it's fun seeing you how to respond to that, <laughs> like you weren't already. Now, this is significant stuff here. And I'm going to say it a little louder, not for your benefit, but for everyone who could possibly hear me. Listen to this truth. This will set you free in a way that you have never been before. You see, Joseph forgives them. Like what? Nah, you're okay. Now listen to this very carefully. Joseph forgives them and he gives them two reasons why it is not his place to take it out on them. Look at verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? You see, vengeance belongs to the Lord, not you. You hear me when I'm saying that? It ain't on you. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Not you. Let it go. Let it go. Reason number one, it ain't your job. Reason number two, Joseph says, as for you, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see what's happening here? God is using even the wickedness of men to accomplish his perfect plan. This is an insight into how God works. 
When we turn to the book of Exodus, we're going to see God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. When he sends Moses to say, let my people go, Pharaoh will say, no. Oh, but God, God has a plan involved in all of that. I am going to show every one of these gods of Egypt are nothing compared to me. God uses even the wickedness. Does that, does that excuse their evil? Oh, no. They will stand before God with that, just as you and I will. There's no excuse. But God used it to accomplish his plan. And what was his plan? To save his people during a time of, of famine, great famine, and to save the Egyptians and the Canaanites while he was doing it. As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You know what they call that? Perspective. Joseph looked at this event through the eyes of God's sovereignty. Surely God was up to something. And, and you see that Joseph has this great opportunity of hindsight where he can look back and say, behold, do you see what turned out because of this? I mean, you sold me as a slave. What an evil, horrible thing that you've done. But look what God did. Isn't that amazing? How can it be anything less? This is the God we serve. This is the God to whom you pray. We don't have a new God in the New Testament, my friends. All of these things written, recorded, and preserved for you that you might know the God whom you serve. Trust him. Trust him, my friends. So he forgives them, first and foremost, because he's not God, and vengeance is God's job, not mine. Secondly, it was a part of God's plan. You see, God uses these evil plots. I mean, the ultimate is Judas. Think of this. God had ordained that this, the wickedness of this man, and could there be any more great wickedness? And he betrayed him with a kiss. I mean, think of just the darkness and the evil of that, that maneuver. Well, somebody needed to. Because Jesus was going to the cross. Yeah, the soldiers who pounded a crown of thorns on his head, thrust a spear into his side. Let's talk about those nails. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for your good. This is the God whom we serve. Because of Joseph, who didn't go whining, complaining, and crying, and folding his arms, and stomping around, and saying, I'm not playing a part of this. Forget it. The guy who was just faithful, so much so that Potiphar promoted him to chief person in the house. Same thing happened with Pharaoh. And because of that, my friends, a nation survives. A nation that leads to Jesus, 
that leads to his crucifixion and his resurrection and your salvation. That's what God did in the book of Genesis. And he had you in mind the whole time. So we sing a song that says the same words over and over again, but surely he is worth it. Surely he is worth it. Well, my friends, be the kind of person that keeps your commitments and be the kind of person that forgives others because you don't know what God is doing. But don't harden your heart in this. Don't grow dark in how you've been hurt. Know that God is at work. There was a guy in a church that I pastored. He wanted to be the pastor instead of me. So he went to every family in the church and said, we need to get rid of this bum. And they did. Like, what did I ever do to this guy? And so I go down to seminary, Dallas, living the high life in Texas, licking my wounds, wondering what God was doing. And he brought me here. My daughter found a husband. Yeah, God is good. Trust him. No matter how much it hurts, know that he has not forgotten you. Learn to forgive, my friends, and love others. Notice that Joseph not only forgives these guys, he doesn't just send them packing. He says here in verse 21, So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. you got nothing to worry about. The number one guy, except for Pharaoh, is looking out for you. What a guy. And then notice this. Notice the irony here. At the end of verse 21, thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Everything that they weren't. What an example for us, my friends. Hey, be like Joseph. You know why? Because Joseph was a lot like Jesus. And then finally, take serious the word of God. Here we are reading this, perhaps the most powerful passage in all of the Old Testament. Put it to practice, my friends. In verse 22, Joseph remained in Egypt, he in his father's house, and Joseph lived to be 110. You see, God promised a fruitfulness, didn't he? And take a look at it. Verse 23, Joseph, he saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, and children also of Mechir, the son of Manasseh, were counted of Joseph's own. 110 years to see how God was blessing this nation soon to be birthed. Verse 24, and God had promised the deliverance, and Joseph never forgot it. Friends, they needed to go to Egypt. You know why? You remember the whole promise of a nation? What do you need to be a nation? You got to have people, you got to have a law, and then you got to have a place to put them. My friends, that's like the first five, six books of the Bible right there. You see, it is in Exodus 
Exodus is the uh, incubator for the birth of the nation of Israel. 75 people go down 275 years later, and they have multiplied to two and a half million people. You see, Egypt was the incubator. They protected them physically because Egypt had one of the most powerful armies of that time. And there they were safely in the midst. They were protected racially. Egyptians would have nothing to do with the Hebrews. There was no mix in this family. Finally, morally and spiritually, Canaan, Canaan, the land that they would one day take over, was as morally corrupt as you could possibly imagine. They were the triple X community of the world. They were just awful. But there they were protected and even hated in the midst of Egypt. We don't want nothing to do with these Hebrews. You guys stay over there. We'll watch out for you. But God looked after them. Yeah, I know they were slaves for about 270 years. It's funny how oppression impacts you. How it makes you stronger. So God promised deliverance. And Joseph remembered it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. He remembered the promises of God and he reminded others. And here in verse 25, Joseph invokes a vow from his brothers Look at the faith that he has in the promises of God. He says, Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And don't forget it. God said it. He will do it. And when he does, you carry my bones out of this place. And so Joseph died. Here in verse 26, Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt, but not to stay. My friends, end well in this life by making a living focused, a living focused life today. Focused, stick to what is right and what is true. Be crazy about it. So crazy. People say, what's wrong? Oh, that guy's taking it too far. Friends, you will not take it too far. Live your life in faith and obedience in Jesus Christ. You can't regret that. It will pay off for all eternity, my friends. You will stand before Jesus. And he will say to you, the words that I long to hear, I hope to hear. Well done. My good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. A day is coming. You will stand before him. Live well. A couple of lessons from the book of Genesis. How about this one? Pray before you act. How many times did this family just mess up royally because they didn't ask God? Trust God's way is the best way. God's way is the best way. Trust him. 
no matter how good looking the fruit may be. God said, don't eat that fruit. Don't eat it. Look at everything that was lost because of the sin of Adam and Eve. She saw that it looked good, so she took it. And she said, Adam, eat this. And he did. And they lost it. And everything that has happened since is moving to yet a future in which God will restore everything that was lost. Trust him. When he says no, he means it for your good. And here is Joseph receiving his final reward, gathered together with his people. I love that euphemism. It was said of Jacob, but it was most certainly true of Joseph and will be true with you and I. We will be gathered together with our people. A reunion, my friends. And what a day it will be. Tell me that my God is not great and that he is not good. And I will show you the book of Genesis. Pray, trust, be faithful to God. And you will see his faithfulness do works in your life. And finally, forgive. Forgive. You know, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Forgive, my friends. You're not God, and you have no idea. Or maybe you do now as you look back and see how God used it. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you, Lord, for your word and the truth that is laid out for us here today. Surely now that we are convinced it is the right thing to do, the right way to live, we long to be like this man, Joseph, a man of integrity, a man of endurance and faithfulness, a man who saw his circumstances through your eyes. God, transform our hearts. Father, do a great work in us. Change our minds about this life that we would be different, that we would glorify you, that others would look on and say, surely there is a God in heaven. Look at how he has transformed this person's life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.